This is Pat Soundbites Unplugged. Unplugged. The podcast where all the artists go to tell it as it is. Careers, music, tours, and more. And here's your host, the man that refuses to eat squid, Pat Calamari. Hey, welcome to another episode of Pat's Soundbites Unplugged podcast. The podcast where you hear all these great interviews promoting a lot of artists, some nationally known, some even new, promoting all new music. And I'm your host, Pat Calamari. Thanks for coming for the ride. Episode number 166, a returning guest, a good friend, world-renowned producer, incredible musician, super nice guy, founding member of the Supersonic Blues Machine, and also Soul Garage Experience. And I'm talking the amazing Fabrizio Grassi. And on Friday, September the 10th, Fabrizio releases an album for Soul Garage Experience. It's entitled Counterfeited Soulless Volume 1. Really great stuff. Right down below, Ain't No Giving Up. I actually played the video. This was a Zoom chat, so you can go check that out on my YouTube and uh, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all that. And I suggest and highly recommend that you buy the album and go check it out. Listen from the first track all the way to number 11. And there's a uh, track number 12 is Ain't No Giving Up kind of radio mix. And uh, Fabrizio does a super job. He's actually the singer on this album. So all good stuff. He also shared that there'll be a new album for Supersonic Blues Machine upcoming. And we talk about a lot of stuff. So I hope you enjoy it. And don't forget to hit the share button, hit the subscribe button on my YouTube channel. As always, live, love, and laugh a lot, because life is way too short. Enjoy Mr. Fabrizio Grassi. Hey, this is Fabrizio Grassi of Soul Garage Experience and Supersonic Blues Machine, and you're listening to Pat Soundbite Unplugged Podcast. Hey, live on Pat Soundbites IGTV, rocking the world with new music on the radio and on video. And man, I got this guy back on the show today. World-renowned record producer, incredible musician, supersonic blues machine, one of my favorite. And right behind me, Soul Garage Experience. Get ready to buy this album on Friday. My good friend, the wonderful Fabrizio Grasse. How are you, Fab? Uh, well, after such an introduction, <laughs> I'm just doing wonderful. <laughs> I'm right? thinking of running and I'm thinking of running in 2024. This yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Finally, there is a there, there is hope for this country. Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, I'm not eligible, but trust me, if I was, I might think you get a lot of votes. I tell you that, boy. What an album, Sabrizio, the Sound Garage, the Soul Garage Experience has an album coming out releasing this Friday. Uh, counterfeited soul silence volume number one and i gotta say fab uh there's a lot you got a lot off your mind it's a great album i love it we already Thank have you. uh right down below on the uh, rotation we're gonna add eight no giving up we're gonna play the video of ain't no giving up when we're done with our chat but uh there's a lot going on man uh you had a lot yep. to say. Pills, lies, and thunderstorms, and shitload of sugar. Man, I'm like, boy, he's got a lot of yeah. this This whole lockdown. He had a lot going on, maybe thinking, and said, 
time to relive. This was all you, right, Fab? I mean, this was an opportunity for you to just get stuff out that uh, just, uh, it, you know, maybe it doesn't fall in the supersonic blues machine, but it was more of like, you know, I, let me take advantage of this opportunity. Did I get well, that right? Uh, yeah, I would say for the most of it. I mean, basically, I mean, all this stuff that there is in, uh, in Sogar's experience, it's nothing else than all the music that has been with me from day one. I guess most of my work uh, in the production world and all of it is, I guess, was steered a little bit more towards the hard rock world and department. However, when, you know, when I go home at night, there is some music and some stuff that I listen to it. And since I was a very, very little kid, I've always been enamored with Bob Marley and the whole soul uh, movement. And even though growing up in Italy, not being a rock and roll country, I wasn't exposed necessarily to everything that, People generally get exposed here, especially at least people of our generations between clubs and, you know, and, and everything. Uh, I have to say that together with some old Italian music back then on the radio, they used to play a lot of R&B from Her to Indian Fires, Lion the Family Stone, Tina Turner. It was a big thing back then. So I remember then seeing James Brown in TV and, you know, the, the whole thing clicked and, you know, and I developed basically this double life, like, uh, you know, rocker by day and and cool by now. <laughs> and uh you know and um you know it just again it's i'm not this is it's not pretentious or anything like that it's not like i'm a soul man or a blues man i never you know i never claim to that this is just a very very respectful tribute to the, the musicians that uh really inspire me and still today inspire me in a lot and you know it, it happened to be from you know 90 percent of them of you know being black musicians but that hasn't to do with anything it's to do with the music and the message uh the main thing about what you were saying though it's true because uh with my other band with supersonic blues machine all our lyrics even though i write most of the stuff and you know produce the band and all of it um the message is always very, uh, the lyrics is very positive, lower love piece, you know, very understanding. I mean, it's basically, it doesn't different. It's not really much different than here, the ultimate call. But with Supersonic, I have Kenny and I have Chris and generally a slew of other uh, guests that even though we might share the same overall vision, we might not necessarily implement the same use of terminology and words when we express our feelings or our views. And, you know, to be honest with you, I don't really feel comfortable in putting uh, maybe sometimes strong sentences of things that, you know, come to my head or that I would use uh, into somebody else's mouth, just because, you know, maybe we might agree with the concept. Again, somebody might say a thing in a way and somebody else will say in a different way. So with Supersonic, it's not the difference of topics, but it's a different of delivery, especially on the lyrical department. Here, uh, I took the opportunity to be my own equal opportunity offender. So I can, you know, yell at everybody <laughs> without, without, you know, getting in, anybody uh, in trouble other than myself. So, I mean, I'm taking the, you know, responsibility in case somebody gets mad or gets offended. But, you know, I guess considering the years in which we live in and, and, and all of the attached, this is something, I mean, I'm always being like that, you know, for people that know me, they know that I don't hold back when it comes down to these kind of things. And I have my own uh, opinions. And I guess this was uh, an opportunity for me to get all of that out beside the, the music and all those uh, sounds coming together. Uh, the lyrical content is very, very important. I mean, there is a lot of Bob Marley. It was actually my main inspiration throughout the years. Uh, and 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 other artists like Marvin Gaye and, you know, even Sly the Family Stone, they always had this uh, very loving message and stuff like that. But there is also my Tom Morello side here that kicks in. 
uh, and maybe not as uh, in your face as Tom does uh, alone or with his you know world famous Raging Against the Machine, but I think we're coming from somehow the same neck of the wood. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. It's got a really great bluesy funk groove. It's got that soul. Um, and you're right. You know, you write a lot of lyrics and you can't expect like a Chris Barris because he's got to sell it with the emotion that he believes in the words because people could read into that if he doesn't deliver that way. So I get all that. And here's an opportunity for you to be the guy singing. And these are your words and these are everything that you wrote. So you don't have to sell it. You know what you're trying to get. Let me ask you, Fab, is, is songwriting therapeutic for you a way obviously to get your messages out through music? Uh. You know what? I never really said it like that, but now that you mention it, probably it is. But it's just, I guess, for me, it's kind of like a necessity. Uh, anything can be an inspiration for any type of music, whether it's for Soul Garage or for Supersonic and anything like that. So I always have my phone handy, uh, anything, idea, whatever, it's a line, it's a lyric, it's a riff or whatever it is, I always document it. And then I, it's always like a work in process. So it's just like an in- integral part of my life. So I guess uh, it's one of those things that I have to do every day, you know, whether I'm finishing a song or not, uh, it's, it's part of it. In terms of like how to deliver the message, I guess probably it is because, you know, I really do not have any other platform. I mean, sure, you know, we do the, okay, the interviews and, you know, the show and all of that, but it's not that I have, uh, you know, um, Bill Maher or, you know, <laughs> right. Dennis Miller or anything right, like that. No, no, no. Thing and you just start <laughs> to invite people and just start cursing at everybody. Uh, no. So I guess, uh, yeah, that's probably, that's probably at least, I mean, as far as I can, you know, as many people as I can reach, definitely to the music, definitely were, to music, of course. Were the songs, um, were these songs written pro-COVID that you had on a shelf and this gave you an opportunity to finish things off or did you just write it during the last year or so? Um, uh, good question. This is actually, it's a combination of things. There's a reason why it's called volume one, because I collected enough material to have a volume two and a volume three together. Obviously, I didn't want it to, you know, release like a double record. No, you know, I, no, no. I ain't no Peter Frampton and I ain't no, <laughs> especially, but especially nowadays, it's kind of like pointless at this point where people attention span, it just goes from zero to 1.5 seconds. Uh, you have to, you know, and again, I'm just making, you know, I'm, be, I'm, I'm being silly here, but, you know, unfortunately the reality of out there, I'm not talking about people that like, you know, uh, rootsy based music or blues rates music are still people that uh, enjoy the listening of a whole record, which for me is always the best way to listen to an artist. But um, there it's a combination of stuff, uh, of uh, music. I mean, some songs that are part of the soul, uh, the, the counterfeited solstice, uh, volume one or two, whatever it is, are some songs that have been there for a bit, for a few years, dating back maybe 10 or, or something, some stuff that I recorded, the, the opener uh, of the record. It's something that I started to work on it with Kenny and, you know, uh, uh, different under different cir- circumstances, almost like about, you know, 10 years ago, nine years ago. So just to give you a vibe. Uh, so there are some of like, some songs like that. Some songs are like COVID songs, like the one that you have on rotation now, like uh, right down below was my first COVID song. And... Um, uh, but it's no so relevant not to cut you off but it's so relevant today when you show that video and you play that track 
and you see these poor people suffering, these tents all over the place, whether you're in L.A., whether you're in New York, Chicago, it's mm-hmm. so fitting. It was, the timing of putting out that song and that video was spot on. Well, the, the you know, COVID uh, just exact, exacerbated, you know, some, uh, you know, on, you know, of, of our own downfall as uh, probably the richest society in the world. Um, I think it would be, uh, it's definitely not me to, to make a video cruise. I mean, I wouldn't never write a song like, uh, you know, my heart will go on or something like that. Not because I have a problem with that musically. It's just because it's definitely not me. Right. Uh, and, but, uh, you know, nevertheless, even less than that, I would do a video cruising around LA with a Bentley convertible, a couple of girls with a champagne and the riches and the pool and all that kind of stuff. Cause that, that for me, it's Hollywood. That's not the reality of it. This record was supposed to be real. Um, to be honest with you, I, I was not even supposed to be singing, you know, as soon as they decided to, to go move forward with this project, which was something that was already happening between Alex Perkins, my, uh, with Stephen Perkins, Alex and Santoni, myself and some of the other guys involved. We were already playing around uh, town and everything. It's just like when these last few songs came around that, you know, both my wives and once again, Billy Gibbons is like, why don't you sing this? It sounds fine. But you know, but this is just a demo. It's like, you know, me give it to dude, get, get the message across. That's the, what else you need. And so I'm like, you know what? And then I wouldn't have to rely necessarily on everybody else. I mean, trust me, everyone that plays in the band sings and during the live show, they have their their sections where they're doing their own stuff. This is more like a review, revenue, uh, you know, 60s, 70s theater thing. But uh, it was a good opportunity to, to have these things out. And unfortunately, just like it happened uh, four years ago when we Supersonic, we released the California Soul, most of those thematics, even though, were not as political as the way I uh, picture them here. Uh, we were having again the same conversation with uh, journalists or, or fans or colleagues, where basically we were doing a record that sounded like uh, you know uh, something that you could have listened to a, a car drive from Los Angeles to San Francisco at the end of the '60s, and all these topics that we were talking about were relevant back then. Well, 40 years later, a full circle. Actually, 40, 40, 50, almost years later, <laughs> it didn't change a bit. We're still talking about the same thing. So that's kind of like really annoying, uh, scary. It's really sad. But at this point, kind of like it's, you know, it's just like really, I mean, what the hell? Um, we always have money for the next war. We have always money to uh, let the riches uh, acquire even more riches. Uh, but we do not have the temperament or the resources or even the will to take care of, you know, us. Us, you know, humans. First place. Yeah, exactly. So regular citizens, and regular people that do not necessarily need people that you would not normally try to kiss their asses for anything, you know. And, you know, and that's not right. Here in Los Angeles has just been uh, insane. Um, I mean, I got to I got to understand a bunch of other realities. I mean, I was, as you know, I was in New York for like almost a month recently, and I got to experience that aspect in New York, a city that I love that, you know, was my first port of landing when I moved to the States. And I'm still and I still feel like as part New Yorker. But I think uh, some of those problems over there work are uh, not handled, but represents or are the symptoms of something even else than what's going on here in Los Angeles. I understand that the bottom line is always, you know, people get, you know, are not being uh, directed. There is not really much of a community sense. And, you know, everybody's kind of like, uh, you know, um, 
out on their own, you know, as long as I can do something for myself, that's, that's fine. Uh, that unfortunately is the reality, but I noticed that um, the scenario flipped when I moved to Los Angeles from New York, uh, I would say the homeless and some of the, I'm going to say more eccentric or like a street living people in New York were almost like at that level for the majority, because almost like of, ethical choices you know you often stumble with uh, uh, a homeless and have you know incredible uh, deep conversation and when I arrived to Los Angeles I found that the homeless here were like for the majority were like people that their brain fried because of drugs and all of that actually I found this other you know to, to be the other way around this time where in Los Angeles I mean it's the amount of uh, homeless it's staggering uh, but for the majority, these are families and people that cannot keep up with life. I mean, right. people that live, that work three jobs and that doesn't even. They can't afford a house. They can't afford, they cannot, they can't afford no, to cannot, put, put dinner on the table. It's, it's insane. So, and, and over there, you know, I ended up in crossing path with a lot of character that unfortunately for them, they, uh, they ended up in some bad trips that they're still living you know and but both sides regardless are really really sad meaning really and when you see people like laying in the street and you know Uh. everybody else is walking around it because they need to go to work and stuff and you really have to call 911 or the police and that happens in new york it happens here because people are not paying attention they don't care they are in a hurry and stuff like that so it's like dude really i mean it doesn't I, I don't know. That's just something that really bothers me. And, uh, and and this is not fault of the politicians or anything like that, because this can happen to anyone. Everyone, when they go on the street, can have this kind of encounters. It's like how you deal with it that makes a difference. And if we think that it's the difference or everything is going to change when people in Washington or wherever around that the world, matter. Uh, they decide, no, it's just that this has to start with us, man. You know, and that's basically the whole thing of... Uh, the Sogar's experiences. I mean, I'm talking about experiences. I'm talking about not necessarily full solutions. I mean, at least solutions the way I embrace them. I'm not necessarily suggesting anybody to do what I do, uh, but it's definitely something that that is there. I cannot talk about anything else. It's not that I cannot talk about happy things because at the end of the day, the whole thing is, the whole message is very positive, but, uh, you know, very positive meaning uh, as the dawn of the day, you know, when the sun is up, it's coming up, it's like a brand new day. Everybody feel, oh, I have the energy from the night, the night sleep and all whatever, and it's coming up. Well, that's great. But remember that before that sun, you went through a dark night. Uh, and that's, I think, what we're living nowadays. So I'm really longing for that sun to to set, you know, to well, set, to actually <clears throat> to rise, you know. I hear you, and I always tell my kids, you have no idea. Just be kind to somebody. Open the door. Say hello. You have no idea what they're going through. They might not show it on the outside, but you have no idea. You can't pick on somebody because they look funny or this or that. You have no clue. You know, we, we I am blessed and thankful for Brizio that I got a roof over my house. My family's healthy. We haven't been stricken by this this COVID thing. And uh, I, I know people, we've, you know, watching people lose, losing lives, and uh, it's just crazy. But uh, thank, you, thank you for what you do, and thank you for taking care of the veterans. I know the veterans' music lessons, and there's folks out there with the PTSD, and you do a lot for that. My dad was a, a Purple Heart recipient in World War II, so it means a lot to me. Um, but getting back to the album, Fab, I, I like the flow of the songs of the track. I like that. I could put it in my car and start with slave to the rhythm. And it just takes a nice journey 
when you when you sit down and look at those uh, ten travel well, eleven tracks, do you, do you you set it all out to say, man, I want it to really flow well. Oh yeah, that yes, that that was very intentional because, uh, like I said, I I'm still uh, kind of like uh, old school enough to appreciate the full listening of a record. I don't think, especially when you have a record like this, that is not necessarily a party record. Uh, uh, you know, each song is a part of it's a story that it's part of this is is a is a, a brick that is part of the same wall, and I think to, be, to get a better understanding of what's going on. Uh, you need to listen to the whole thing. It's like when you listen to The Wall, I mean, from Pink Floyd. I mean, I don't want to compare myself to Pink Floyd, right. but I'm just saying. No, you, you got to go listen to the whole album. Exactly. Same thing, you know, back then with Genesis was the same thing. You know, uh, it, it's, you know, it can, uh, and, and I've always been a big fan of that. I mean, for me, the best music uh, decades ever was the 60s. Uh, and then obviously the 70s. I mean, especially that the ending part of the 60s and the beginning of the 70s. It's always been great. And and if you notice, all music was like that. They had some sort of like that and everything. And I think uh, it's important to do that, especially also for me to show people, you know, everything that I do. In, not that I do, but where all my influences are coming from. Um, and it would. I don't think it would be fair. I mean, if somebody listened to, let's say, for example, uh, right down below and things like okay it's kind of like this oh yeah this is uh, oh fab is doing a, a reggae record no i'm not there are some reggae elements in there but i'm fab is doing fabs and and you know i have all of that always part even on my thing with supersonic obviously over there like i said you have other people that needs to not to shine but they have a, a strong they personality their part. and they're coming in and they're yeah. coming in with there here i guess it's a little bit more like it's like on on me to do this thing so i had uh, you know this extravaganza but whether it's funk or whether it's soul whether it's uh, rock or psychedelic or blues or whatever it is they're all part of the same they're all coming out of the same cornucopia of for me inspiring sounds and you know they need to be there so if you listen to the whole thing that you get an understanding if you listen just to one song out of the no, other you might no, no. get a vibe that uh Oh, you know, oh, it's a new soul record. Oh, it's doing like a retro uh, uh, classic rock or whatever. You know, uh, like this, I think you, you know, you can get, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the full, full picture. Yeah, no, I get that. I, w- I want to listen. I want to close my eyes. I'm going to crank it up. I want to get in the car. I got to listen to the whole thing. It doesn't make no sense to skip and go. Okay, well, this is the single and drop it. <laughs> no, 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 because I want to. I want to see the journey. I want to. I want to close my eyes and envision the wall and see the image of what you're trying to, what you have created. You work with so many great musicians. And I think that was the love that I found for you was obviously with the supersonic blues machine. And you brought on so many all-stars like this guy, Walter Trout and Billy and Eric Gales and Warren Haynes and Steve Ludwiger. And, uh, and then with this as well, you know, this, you just can't do it yourself. And you bring in, you know, Beth Smith and, and others. Um, that's insane, man. That's It's great to have those great friends out there, isn't it? Yeah, but you know what? Again, I mean, maybe it's um, a little bit less noticeable here uh, on, on, on this record. Uh, you know, even though people were asking me, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to put down any other musicians that are, that are working with me. They're recording with me on this record. Absolutely. Quite the opposite. The thing is, uh, a lot of people have been asking me, um, you know, if I'm kind of like, a, a, you know, it's like almost like a bragging thing to always have these people with me. Uh, but to be honest with you, this is my daily job. I mean, being a producer is my daily job. I, in one way or another, I work with these people and I developed a relationship with it. So 
I mean, if you are a guy that lives, I don't know, in Yonkers and, you know, you're going to school and you become a musician and you have your friends from over there, they're yeah, you have your network. and you ended up in playing with somebody from there, or with, with fantastic musicians. I mean, maybe they, the rest of the world don't necessarily know them because maybe they've been local musicians or maybe because they're, they haven't been either discovered or they haven't reach other parts of the world to some other projects. I mean, I've been uh, blessed in my 25, 30 years career to to work and, and make friends with uh, a lot of these cats. And a lot of these guys, like Stephen Perkins or, you know, Derek Day or or even Benny and stuff, these are guys that I, you know, I work with normally. These are people that we talk on the phone just to say, hey, man, how's your kid? I mean, you know, it's just the, right. the flu gone and all that. So uh, well, it's not my fault that I have these kind of friends. You know, in other words, I'm not trying to, oh, to yeah, show no, off not, or anything like that. No, 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 I'm not saying you, but it seems like that, oh, same with, with Supersonic and now with this, you got all these guys. Well, but this is because because it's my circle of friends. I really right. don't know what to say, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, but, no, no. Uh, I'm not putting in ads, but I just think it's great that you, you that the folks want to be on it and they're and, and contribute. I think you mentioned, I mean, I didn't know who Derek Day was. And then I watched this kid. I go, what is this? And that this, guy can play. And not only can, can sing the hell out of it. He's a real singer. I know Derek for since he was 16. And he was busking on the street uh, on Santa Monica Promenade. And actually, it was my daughter was telling me, hey, Dad, you need to come and see this cat. Uh, and he was playing Guns N' Roses song like, uh, you know, Steve Vai would have playing Slash parts and singing, you know, Axel parts like Robert Plant was singing. And he was jumping around like he was playing in front of 10,000 people. So I went there. We started talking. We kept in touch. And, you know throughout the years more and more we ended up in kind of like jamming together or being in the same place and talking all of that we became you know way closer and you know it's like uh now we got this situation where you know you know he, you know steve Vai and also vernon reed they were like really really big fans of this kid because we see an incredible potential uh and uh, we're just trying to do as much as we can to help him i mean he's a singer of this quite big band from Los Angeles called, uh, uh, called Classless Act and is it is not touching guitars on that end ever. That record is coming out, I think, in May or something. The single's already out. Uh, they're going to be touring, opening up stadiums for the Flapper, the Motley Crew, and all of that. And Derek is just like a fortunate nature. But you know what? Everyone that is on the record is like that. I mean, he's probably very outspoken, extravagant, and all of that, but he also has the energy of a 20 years old. Um, on that sense, uh, but uh, everyone on the record and everyone that is working with me on this thing, but also on Supersonic now, is a very, very, very positive person. I do not want to. We don't want to have the nagging or you know the problem where somebody in a bad mood ruins the mood for everybody. And this way, uh, much of. I mean, at least as for as a performer, when I go to play and everybody goes there because we really wanted to play and there's like this big smile on the face and everybody's like uh, running on the same wavelength. It's fantastic because that's when things happen, you know, and that's the kind of attitude that we wanted to keep with Supersonic. And that's why it works when it works. And we don't have to rehearse three weeks to get on tour. I mean, the last tour that we did was like a day and a half of rehearsal, no even the last few shows that we did in Europe before the pandemic, we didn't even rehearse. I mean, we always, I want to always wanted to leave that kind of like a, almost like a questioning between the members, you know, uh, kind of like a very Rolling Stones kind of like, well, we know how it ends and we know how it starts. Let's see what happens in the middle because that's what keeps it fresh. But we got such a, 
uh, a desire to do this together that you know uh, that kind of challenge is actually what kind of like it creates that unity when you're on stage and uh, and with so garage experience it's just the same so uh derek is a, a major proponent of that thing i mean i never seen the guy pissed off ever since i know him and it's always like always thank you with a capital t and always arguing and you know very grateful for what he has and every time that he plays whether it's in studio or on stage he always got he always gives you 300 percent. so that's how we like it you know i, I gotta get him on my show i i, I we've become oh, yes. friends on instagram back and forth and i said derek i gotta i gotta get you on my show you know i almost drove to kalamazoo michigan to see you guys play and i really kicked myself in the ass when Stephen Perkins, when you had Stephen fill in for Kenny, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. And I don't think Stephen gets enough credit for what he does. What a tremendous drummer. I mean, you're talking two different – you got Kenny Arnoff is Kenny Arnoff, but Stephen, I don't think – more of a jazz guy, rock guy. What, you what, know what, what would you say uh, with Stephen, uh, Fab? Stephen, first of all, it's one of the most creative drummers that I've ever worked with, if not the most creative one. Uh, he can play the same song 200 different times and always find out something new to play. Uh, and I really don't know how he does that. I I really like his uh, organic approach to the instrument. He plays barefoot. So just yep. that already tells you. It, and, and for a drummer, when you play barefoot, it's not because it looks good on stage because people don't see that. It's just you. That And if somebody learn how to do that, it's like... It's like it wants to have full contact with the instruments. He's into African beats. Real like feel. One, probably, probably, you know, the biggest Felakuti fan that that I've ever met. And uh, he has that kind of tradition. And in the, fine, the thing about what you're saying about jazz is actually, um, you're right. Uh, and I was, uh, I was noticing that, that uh, when, you know, we do like sound checks or we're putting things together and all of that, everybody plays. And even before, and I have a story for you to tell you as soon as I'm done with this. Uh, uh, per, you know, with Perkins and stuff, we're just jamming some stuff and sometimes goes anything from like, you know, Hanukkah songs to you know, Iron Maiden. Because obviously it comes from that time where him and Navarro, when they started James Addictions, were like more the, the metal guys, right? However, his first approach on it is like almost to jazz it out. You know, starting like to do that, to do that. Buddy Rich no, or Gene Cooper exactly, type of deal? But exactly. <laughs> and it's not the jazz that everybody thinks about today, you know, the super, you know, the fusion-y thing. No, right. I'm talking about that kind of like very swinging thing. And it's, you know, and it's almost like, I think uh, maybe uh, uh, two, uh, two other drummers I in, in rock, uh, had that kind of approach, but their own way. One was uh, Ginger Bacon, and the other one was uh, um, Mitch. Uh, what's it called? Uh, with Hendrix. I mean, I'm sorry. Oh yeah, 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 Mitch. Well, the other one. There's another one too. Carmine Apiece. Carmine was always a jazz guy. He always looked yeah. up to like a Buddy Rich and Gene Cooper. Yes, but Carmine has always had a, a, a very severe hit, and he's always been, I would say, the father of rock on that sense. Whether he influenced Bonham or whether even Kenny, it was like one of the first few guys to have the consistency of the heavy hitting snare. Yes. And the, regardless of everything else, he was like Mr. Group, like right. pop, pop. But his you influence know. was those guys, I got to tell you. Of course. Oh, no, 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 absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But Perkins is like, he approaches all this in a very uh, fluid way. And it's uh, and you can get him to as much as he can do that, you know, like tribal with African drums. Uh, and and he all makes sense. 
you know, so he brings his personality before his style and his style is a reflection of his personality. So that's something that I think very, very, very difficult for drummers to do because uh, drummers tend to kind of like really work on their technique and all of that. And obviously they become famous because the way they play and that's why they're getting requested by a lot of artists. Steven kind of like he went the other way around because probably became famous with his own band. Uh, he was able to kind of like establish his own sound before showing everybody that he could play everybody else's songs for somebody else, you know? Um, I think that's uh, liberatory on, on that sense. Uh, it's a different, obviously it's a different world playing with him and play with Kenny, but uh, in one way it is not because when you play with a great drummer, uh, the only thing that changes is, uh, I would say, the final result of the day. Let's say, for example, today we're doing pasta and tomorrow we're doing uh, soup, but at the end of the day, the good ingredients are all organic and they're all there. So it's a, uh, it's quite of a quite quite a trip, you know. I, I love both of those guys, man. You, you know, you, you, I like the way you describe it, and you really break it down. And I, I think that comes from your musical background and your producing sense. What role do you prefer? Do, do you enjoy the most? Hard question, but I know playing and, and feeling that energy has got to be awesome. But I know you're. A, a phenomenal record producer. Do you, which role do you do you would you say enjoyed the most, Fab? If uh, not both, <laughs> you know, you know what the thing is. Like uh, I, for one reason or another, and I'm not saying this because I'm, you know, I'm like uh, cry, crying the blues about it. I always had to do them all because, again, growing up in Italy, not Italy being a rock and roll country per se. Uh, when I started to play and I wanted to go to recording studios just to have our first demo with the band and all of that, you always bring around the records that you like to kind of like give uh, the, the the house engineer, whatever it is, an idea on the sounds. They never got what we were asking, never. So I started to kind of like uh, trying to get on it myself. So at least, I mean, it, it's not going to suck as much. You know, at least, I mean, there is like a, an idea of what we're after. And throughout the years that developed, but, um, you know, I always ended up in having basically to do them both if not three times because also of the writing and everything else so i always had to wear you know four or five different hats on every single project that i've been in and um it kind of like natural so for me there is no one without the other and there, it's two different kind of highs let's put it this way exactly play, i like the way you when, put it when you play on stage and all of that it's just one thing and that's probably the best feeling in the world that's fantastic but also when you're there and that may not, and you come stumble upon a few things with the artist and you work on the stuff and at the end of the day you listen to it and it just you see these things that it takes form and uh, the, basically there was nothing and at the end of the day it's all there. That's cool. Uh, it's another different. Uh, it's another different type of uh, you know uh, satisfaction. You know? Are you, uh, I'm sure you worked it on a bunch of projects uh, as a producer. Anything that you can share that we could uh, look forward as the guy who plays new music or for new artists or so. Um, there is a, um, well, actually there are a couple of different things that I've been working on. Um, the majority are actually on the soundtrack world. So I'm fortunately, I'm not a liberty to disclose no, any titles yet. However, I've been working with this uh, very young guitar player artist, uh, Gabriel Quasar, and I'll invite everyone to go check him out on his Instagram and on YouTube because he's quite avant-garde. It's like, I mean, it's, it's a very good guitar. And again, I know this kid since he was 13 and 
and he's his own monster. This is another guy that never went for the traditional route and just trying to be, you know, sweep uh, faster than Frank Gambale and 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 shred faster than Michael uh, Michelangelo or anything like that. He always wanted to do his own thing, um, and I'm actually really really proud of the work that we've been doing together because it's very modern, but very avant-garde, but also kind of catchy. Uh, that for sure. Also, uh, there is a record that is going to be released, uh, I think, in uh, October, uh, called Land of Gypsy. Uh, it's a project that I did with uh, the fantastic Terry Ilus, uh, singer from Great White and obviously XYZ of fame. Um, and we clicked in very, very well. That's more a sound that is, I guess, more appropriate uh, to Terry at this point, I would say them myself, but I think uh, we, we didn't fail to live in the things that I really write, like about, uh, you know, big radio rock, uh, American radio rock, especially from the 70s more than the 80s. These are like more bands from like, I don't know, Fogat to early uh, Foreigner to that kind of stuff, even nice. er, early Triumph, that kind of like a hard rock with that. With that. When, when American rock was not pretentious, it was not an excuse uh, to sell record, there was nothing like that. This is like uh, up to Peter Frampton comes alive. I mean, that thing, that thing for me was the best, you know, showing Absolutely. off American radio rock. So it's a, it's a record very much in that direction, which you know, um, really, really happy and, and proud. Of. And then cool. obviously, you know, we have another supersonic coming again. I was just going to ask you that. You got another one? Good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, we have actually the new record has been ready for a year, more than a year now, but because of COVID, you know schedules releases and all of that went all to the loo as they were saying in the UK. <laughs> and uh so we're we're working on a, a program for 2022 we're rescheduling all our tour for for the fourth time but you know uh it's it's all good i mean this is actually a good uh, a good thing and actually um some of the songs that you hear on soul garage experience are songs that if i didn't have you know these like uh Epiphany would probably would ended up in being on the next uh, Supersonic album, but I realized as soon as with Supersonic, as soon as one album is released, I start working on the next. There you go. Uh, wh whether are some songs that are already in the can or some other stuff, and just start to renew things and all of it, it it's something that happens immediately. And um, as soon as we released uh, California Soul, I mean, actually after several months, I started to collect material and all of it. Um, I was starting to put this thing down and I'm kind of like, I've come to realize that it sounded more like a supersonic fabs machine than, you know, supersonic blues machine. And it was getting more like a soul funk and all of that, which is more by baggage than not everybody else. And also this is the first record that we do in studio with Chris Barris and Chris brings this great, uh, uh, British legacy of influenced uh, blues, influenced uh, rock guys, guitar players, especially singers like Gary Moore, Rory Gallagher, these kind of guys. And we wanted to take advantage of that sound to keep it consistent. You know, we don't want it to like all of a sudden you come in and just start to do, you know, mimicking somebody else or anything like that. It's absolutely not. And uh, and I think uh, we ended up with a great record. Uh, and again, it's a semi concept as well. And um, and actually, I was able to free up a bunch of songs that I'm using. <laughs> Oh my goodness, Fab! You, you know, you mentioned pasta before. I keep telling you, you got to do the Fab Music Cafe Food Channel. You're a tremendous. Well, that, that, Remember watching that would be, you do that. <laughs> that that would that would be that would be the next thing. Actually, that's something that is is, is in within my 
uh, bucket list to have a, a cooking show. Oh, you were like, you were in your glory when you were cooking and all that. That was so cool. I'm like, dude, you got to do this. And now, you, and, and speaking of the album, you had incredible backup vocals. Of course, Francis does a tremendous job. And you lost your other half as you were in New York with Andrea coming to college. So, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so well, it's gonna it's going to be it's going to be a challenge now with with my daughter away. Uh, you know the thing is like she's um, she's been with us with both with my wife and I obviously from the very beginning and from the very beginning has always been exposed by my side uh, of music and her mom's sides of music. And back then, uh, when she was born, my wife was part of the Sergio Mendes Brazil whatever incarnation was back then uh touring and all of that and she always had that element you know um the brazilian jazz but also i mean uh, she she always did a lot of music in the latin community uh disney and all of that so she always take used to take my daughter to sessions and my daughter kind of like developed like almost like uh you know a, a vaccine to it it was like no starstruck at all and everything and for me you know when she was in the house and i was recording with all my crazy friends you know Again, she she will come in and just kind of like get everybody to cheer or, you know, because she's, you know, cute, but he's also very sincere. I think I'm just giving you an, ad- an anecdote uh, on uh, uh, a Glenn Hughes record that I produced, Soul Mover, uh, which is actually one of my favorite work that I've been part of. Um, the, what we're listening to before getting into the mix, we're listening to, to my place, my house, uh, the songs with Glenn and with Chad Smith, right? And uh, and I was like keep, like playing this beat and everything, and Chad was like, "That's cool, you know." And I said, "Well, this is kind of like it's a club, it's a salsa thing, and everything." Obviously, I did a lot of work on that as well, so kind of I have a bit of a knowledge of those uh, percussive beats and everything. But I would be so dope if we could have something like that. And Chad was like, "Yeah, man, sounds great, but I don't have anything and everything." Which, well, and I called my daughter, so she brings her little box of toy percussions you know it's like a tambourine little bongos and stuff and chad wanted to try to see how some of these patterns sounded on the track well he went into the room and he started recording when everything all the percussions that you hear on that record are my daughter's toys <laughs> so she's like uh, she's uh she's always she better get like credit that. on that record <laughs> Well, and she's always been like that. So, you know, um, when she started to, to you know, to, to sing with us, with Supersonic, uh, was, uh, you know, kind of like a natural thing. And, you know, and she got welcomed by everybody. I remember the first time for her on stage was actually at the Mahindra Blues Festival in India. And, I mean, she was back in guys like Eric Gales, Billy Gibbons, you know, Shamika Copeland and all these people. And everybody was so supportive of her. You know, I was like, oh, you sounded great. It's fantastic. You know, it was like this little girl and everything. So I guess that gave her the, you know, you know, the little the confidence. attitude, but the confidence and, you know, the, and, and she developed, you know, she's got a natural talent, obviously, with the, the singing and obviously the acting. She did her actor studio here in, in Los Angeles and all of it. And she takes that after her mom, for sure, not for me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, it's like, and they created quite a, quite a team. We ended up in doing a lot of different work for a lot of artists, just with the two of them or the addition on some other friends. And, uh, you know, this is going to be, you know, a hard one to replace. But again, you know, it's it moves on. And so I think if this is an opportunity for her to start to do her own thing, she, she's a Broadway maniac. She loves musical. She loves theater. So, you know, really happy that at least the kind of like uh, she uh, was raised in a family with some crazy parents that exposed her to a lot of other things other than, you know, what some of people her age were exposed to. So, you know, hopefully that will serve her good, you know. 
She gets in a jam. You give her Uncle Pat's phone number, and I'll go down there and kick some ass and take some names. Don't worry about that, brother. I got <laughs> your back. She's a beautiful dude. You. you got a beautiful daughter. Yeah, an empty nest. I saw Francis's uh, post. You know, heartbroken. We're home, and we look at each other and our daughter for the first time. But it's all good. I mean, my children, the minute they moved out, we're like looking at each other. And then you worry every night. Are they okay? Are you okay? Okay. Uh, and, of course. And, you know. know are you home? Are you this? Are you that? And yeah, you we got what? it. We're good. So, all you right. Know, you know what? But and also, in one way, it makes you uh, appreciate your own parents even more because uh, uh, you go obviously, uh, you know, you're happy for what they're doing and you know the fact that they're growing up and stuff. But kind of like obviously, you get to miss your kid. And both my wife and I, uh, being both immigrants in that sense, and we came here to pursue our, you know, dreams. We're looking at it's just like you know, this is what. Uh, I guess this is how our parents must have felt like when we <laughs> left and all we broke the news and everything. And I was just like, well, you're not, you know, it's not really. So kind of like, you know, sorry, dad, sorry, mom. You know? Yeah, exactly. That's all good. Fabrizio, I mean, I could go on and on and on. Always grateful for your time. Love what you do. Give Francis a big hug for me. Everything's going to be good. Def definitely will. We can't wait for the album to come out. Counterfeit is soul size. Volume number one comes out on Friday. We're going to rock the house. Can continue to play right down below. And uh, ain't no giving up here and ain't no giving up with you, brother. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And actually, if I may, uh, everybody, please visit uh, www.fabriziagrossi.com or www.soulgarageexperience.com. It's the same page, but, you know, double name for the same landing. That's the hub to reach our YouTube channel, please subscribe, like, and comment, you know, follow us and all of that. And the same thing for Facebook, for Instagram, for Twitter, Spotify. So I'll invite everyone and, you know, whether you want to buy the record or not, whether you just want to play it, you just want to check out one song, please just go there, visit it. Uh, you know, this is all work of love. Uh, love to hear what you guys have to say. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, thank you for giving me this opportunity. And also, I'm, while I'm glad that uh, you are playing the music that you're playing, uh, there is a surprise because together with the record on Friday, we're going to unveil a new video. Uh, it's a song that is on the record that was uh, sung by the wonderful Betty Smith. The song is called With or Without You. And that's another trip because if you think that my video were fairly explicit and direct up till now, <laughs> you're definitely <laughs> up to something. And But she, she's just been very gracious. She's an incredible, incredible human and incredible artist. And we're really, really, I'm proud to have, uh, you know, that the, the actual record release date being, uh, you know, accompanied by, uh, this video. So, you know, please, again, FabrizioGrossi.com or SoulGarageExperience.com. And from there on, you can go to all our social medias and all our places, listen to the music, comment, like, you know, I would love to hear from you because that's that's what we do, man. You know, and the more people like it, the more you have, uh, you know, um, a drive to do more and more. And obviously, and hopefully, to get out there and play live. Absolutely. And I want everybody to buy it because you could download and go to Spotify. But when you go to a show to see Fabrizio, he can't autograph for Spotify. So buy the album. I'm old Thank school. You. Go out and get the album and support this cat. He does great, great work. I love everything that he does. Fab, thank you again so much, brother. Can't wait to see you, you next month, bro. It's all Likewise. good. Thank you. Thank you. Time Patrick. now Th to rock a little eight. Not, you know, ain't no giving up right here. On Pat Soundbites IGTV. Rock on.
Thank you.